0: It's pretty unprecedented change happening right now.
1: There's lots of, of testing and trialing and investigation. It's just become a tool for them. It's not replaced their artistic process, it's augmented and helped them. That freedom right now is an incredibly important thing for the next generation.
2: If the student thinks that's the end product, then we do have a problem.
1: There's a big question in the air, like, will any of these jobs still exist? The unique selling point of many large visual effects and CG studios is the quality of their internal engineering.
0: Welcome to Beyond the Frames, the podcast about making movies, TV series, animation, VFX, and all that kind of stuff. I'm here today at Escape Studios with Jamie from NVIDIA and Mark from Escape Studios. We're going to be talking about Gen.AI, OpenUSD, and some of the exciting advances in the industry, not just for professionals, but people looking to train to work in the industry too. So Jamie, before we get into Gen AI, because obviously that's going to be like the biggest topic for us today, um, Tell us a little bit about what you do at uh, NVIDIA.
1: Cheers, Rafi. So, yeah, I I look after the media industries at NVIDIA for the uh, EMEA, generally European region. So entailed in that is working with um, both major end users of NVIDIA technology across multiple industry verticals within the media space. So our visual effects um, companies, uh, the broadcast agencies and and marketing world. Um, And then within that, ecosystem we have a huge number of partners who build products and services on top of NVIDIA technologies. So we work with both ends of, of the community from, from a developer perspective as well as an implementation and, and user perspective to, to make sure that we're guiding our developer partners on the tools that the end users want to use and making sure that we accelerate all of these areas of the industry at the same time.
0: That's great. So it's a focus on the commercial aspect of some of the technologies that can then serve the people working in this space, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, commercial aspects, but also helping the the very foundations of ecosystem grow as well, which is why, you know, we're always very um, supportive of, of the academic space as well. So we include that area in what we call ecosystem. So universities and colleges, like our friends at Escape Studios, and how they build the next generations of developers and artists that will use NVIDIA technologies.
0: Perfect. So that next generation, then, Mark. Um, Escape Studios, from, in my mind, as someone who's worked in the industry for you know a couple of decades, Escape is that iconic place where you think of when you think, I need to upskill or train myself in something that's either emerging in the industry or a shortfall that you feel, find in your own skill set. So tell me a little bit about what you've been doing at Escape.
2: Uh, uh, thank some. you, Rafi. But um, Yeah, but my, I'm Head of Industry Engagement and Industry Training at Escape and, of course, developer. So my role at Escape was um, is to um, help develop the content on the courses, but also to engage with our industry partners. As you mentioned, we've been around for over twenty years, servicing the visual effects industry, particularly in games and animation. And um, not only do we sort of train um, students to work directly in the industry, we also provide undergraduate and postgraduate programmes, but we also provide training programmes for industry themselves. Mm-hmm. So they the approach us for sort of new and emerging technologies, and we'll try and interface with them and provide training pro- programmes for their for their um, staff, as well as obviously the students and the undergrads that are going to be their future employees. So it's a really good position to be in, understanding from both sides their needs and requirements and the direction that industry needs training or education to go into.
0: Yeah, cool. Like industry readiness, it's always something that I think about when I think of escape, like in the, some of the teams that I've worked with before, when we've sent people to escape, or we've hired people that have come out of escape training. There's one thing that you can be sure of time and time again, is that industry readiness. There's a situation we have right now where, I know we always talk about oh, stuff's changing all the time, the industry's constantly moving, but there's it's pretty unprecedented change happening right now. Not just in gen AI, but when we get into USD as a platform as a, as a format of what that means for the industry what what kind of trends are you seeing right now the pull from the industry because that's that's kind of what escape is driven by right like the industry needs
2: absolutely I mean we are driven directly by industry you know what they want artists to know in the next year or two all those skills is what we try and provide um, interestingly it seems a, a bit of a grey area at this point in time because I think the facil- a lot of facilities themselves are still trying to get their head around what this technology means for their process. Yeah. One thing's for sure is um, jobs will evolve. I won't say get lost, I will say evolve. I mean, it, it reminds me of what happened um, nearly over 20 years ago in the film industry with the advent of digital, yeah. when people moved from analog to digital, from film to the computers. Again, it was the same scary thing. It was obviously a lot of techniques were going to become obsolete or at least translate into something different. And people were able to develop skills and move with that and survive quite happily with it, which was the exciting thing.
0: Yeah, I remember studying film just before that transition. And my lecturers, I was really lucky, I was taught by alumni from the Monty Python crew. They're taught at Panico Films, which were still teaching analog techniques, but we were yeah. just at the cusp of turning turning digital. And there was a big question in the air, and like. Will any of these jobs still exist? But actually what turned out was t- turned out to be the case is uh, your skills were transferable. Absolutely. If you' were a cinematographer um, in the analog space, totally translated to not only digital cinema, but down the line, you know, real-time engines as yeah. you know Unreal Engine Now, for example, or even omniverse, where you, the way you handle a camera in the real space totally translates to the digital space. Do you think? That sort of transfer of skills is still rele- is, is still happening with the onset of Gen AI?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the you know, pipelines and, and the creative process has been, as you know, you guys have just been saying, it's, it's been an evolving process mm-hmm. since, yeah. since it started, right? And I think the the evolution of tools and capabilities in, especially in, you know, in visual effects and CG. Um, is is going to see a really interesting you know next step with with these tools I you know if you look at the engineering requirements and capabilities that we have for for advanced capabilities in this space already today knowledge of of Python knowledge of machine learning kind of already exists in in many studios in the industry and and not just within visual effects now but within lots of industrial and and automotive um 3D uh, content creation uh, groups, and I think you know the requirements that will grow around understanding how and where to implement you know new AI capabilities and new AI tools will develop at that technical end of, of the pipeline of, of an organization. Um, I think it's in, uh, absolutely correct what what we were saying a minute ago that lots of companies are still um, you know looking at how and where to best evolve those capabilities. There's lots of, of testing and trialing and investigation happening right now. But I think because these tools have accelerated so much in the last 12 months, um, we're gonna see that need to integrate new uh, capabilities at production mm-hmm. level a lot quicker than we might traditionally have seen that happen. Because um, we're seeing it in other industries outside of you know, traditional visual effects and film already. So what, what
0: kind of industries? Is it like the manufacturing or auto, automobile kind of industry?
1: Um, I think anywhere where there's a huge amount of language data, yeah. we're seeing the, the use of, of large language models being integrated very quickly to increase efficiencies, increase productivity across lots of different business areas. Um, you know, we're seeing this in financial services. We're seeing this in in the automotive industries. We're seeing this in, in lots of areas. I think one of the you know the more difficult parts of content creation from a three D point of view is that it requires a lot of expertise and a lot of data to do things like generate three D objects yeah. um, at a very high quality. You know, we've done a huge amount of work in this space already, partnering with people like Shutterstock and, and Turbo Squared. Um But there's some way to go in in that area, which is why right now it's a lot about ideation and and the thought process for for content creators and and studios as to where do we best use this today Mm -hmm. um, and where is it going? Let's understand and map this out so we know when and where to increase our focus on certain areas. And a lot of that comes down to a, a tight integration with research a tight integration with the technology companies that are building these tools. Like, mm-hmm. you know, traditionally we've looked at, you know, um, events like SIGGRAPH to, to see what's happening. And I think this year, more than more than many, there was a huge amount of research in this space that was presented both by NVIDIA, as well as, you know, the researchers from major studios, as well as people like Google and, and other, you know, large tech companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're gonna see that getting inserted into applications and, and you know, end user capabilities quite quickly.
0: Yeah. Do you know, as a creative, I'm fully aware that there's this tidal wave of AI change happening. And it can be kind of overwhelming where every week there's some new piece of kit. from Everything from someone tweeting their own exploration through to another mid-journey type thing popping up to announce major announcements from NVIDIA and SIGGRAPH. It can be hard to know where to begin. And even if you start on something, to try and keep up with the change in that space is is kind of overwhelming. one thing that i found quite helpful is you guys at nvidia recently released or announced the release of something called ai workbench which from what i can understand ai workbench is a is a user friendly front end for a lot of large language models that are out there that unless you're a python uh, programmer, it's it's kind of hard. It's a steep learning curve for you to combine into something that's usable for your use case. Whereas AI Workbench is a front end for a lot of those, brings them together, so you can. The entry point is a lot easier into that yeah. in that space. Yeah,
1: I th- think something that we we always recognize um, is as as these capabilities grow, and as you you say right, as people see these things and they want to get involved in them. We know that there is a huge complexity behind a lot of those tools that you've seen, right? And in order to get people accelerated in their journey, in whether it's generative AI or whether it's any form of of AI research, one of our goals at NVIDIA has always been to to bring together frameworks which are a, a combination of many tools that you need to figure out before you even start. Yeah. Right there's a, this you know if you look at the dependencies when you're running an AI application or or a training job there are many many different parts to that that all need to work in collaboration. for that process to be efficient and and not have to go back and forth on different versions of of, uh, PyTorch and and inference tools and and drivers and runtime engines and operating systems. So AI Workbench, as well as what we have in our um, our NGC, NVIDIA GPU Cloud, which is a collection of containers, aims to allow developers to shortcut that process to to start bringing together their data with maybe a pre trial Model and and create things quicker and easier, Um, and that's a process that we put into you know many of the frameworks and tools that that we release. And AI Workbench is a you know another evolution of that. That allows people to bring that from you know the the large scale the way we've been doing that before into workstations into laptops. Yeah. You know our friends at Scan make some amazing you know AI uh, focused you know systems that people can run under the desk at home. Yeah. Um, so being able to create that framework that will run on a workstation, but also then allow you to take that work and move it into into the cloud or into a much larger you know AI mm-hmm. training system. Gets people on that journey quicker. Um, you know, it's it's just it's one of those things that we always try and encourage in our teams. Is you know, when if you've done something that looks like it's really complex, and we want to try and you know enable people to replicate that sort of work, yeah. let's try and make it as simple as possible for yeah, people yeah. to to get there.
0: So I've got a workstation at home, like a like a production workstation. It's got an A six thousand GPU, so that's fine for I could run that AI yeah. workbench on that. But if I wanted, would I go to the cloud for more power? Is that what it is? Or just if I'm on the go? Yeah, I mean, it allows
1: you to, you know- the, the, If I'm on set, for the, the idea of the way that we, we architect AI frameworks is that we want you to be able to run those things anywhere that, that you want to, right? Wherever the right scale is, wherever the right economics are for you. So if you want to start on that workstation, you find something where you need a huge amount of scale and it makes sense for you to go to a cloud provider that you can connect that cloud provider's compute capability yeah. with your credentials whatever it is yeah. um, and move the same software stack that you've developed locally into that cloud yeah, yeah. Um, and that conversely could also be you know an on-premise solution it could be a partner solution right you could be taking that into a studio or somewhere you're collaborating with and they already have a compute platform so you can move that work from your workstation to that yeah, platform that, easily
0: that's the use case i can totally see when i'm with my clients if i've been working on something on my workstation at home it's one thing to show them the results, like the generated images or video, but it's another thing to, yeah, you show them the results and then work with them on site with them because they can't always come to my studio, or even if you're on set and you want to generate something. But let me take it back to um, someone who's entering the industry or a student today. Mark, if they come up to you and they show you their portfolio and it's a bunch of Gen AI images, right now, how do you approach that?
2: Um, To be fair, we're not that bothered really. I mean, we teach from the ground up, our undergrad and postgrad programmes teach students from having absolutely no knowledge on the course, and they're the ones we're particularly interested in the portfolios, the short courses anybody can apply for. Um, And we do find some undergrads applications are coming in with generative AI stuff, which is absolutely fine. Um, For us, we're looking for potential. We're looking for people that have an artistic sensibility they have a bit of a vision and a direction, and what we tend to find is a lot of these kids. When you look at the gen gen stuff that they've created, there is a sense of progression there. You can get a feeling for the art, the inner artist there. It doesn't. I don't suppose it really matters how they generate what's in their head. I mean, if they came with some random images they couldn't really explain, then obviously there's no real direction there. But if they came with, you know, a, a bunch of collected images that they've generated, however, but there was there was a theme, a sense to it. Then it's just become a tool for them. It's not replaced their artistic process, it's augmented and helped them. And I think that's really good because it does democratize a lot of stuff. Because you get a lot of children, a lot of people saying, I can't draw, I'm not artistic. And, you know, artistic is not necessarily about being good at drawing. I mean, a rubbish drawing will still get your creative idea across. And something like Gen AI can really help them get over that hump because then they've got something that does look good to show. Although, really, that doesn't matter. I mean, I've seen directors pitch shows on scri- scribbles. But there's enough to get the idea of the, the potential across. over it, exactly. And it's yeah. a, that's what it's about.
0: And what, so, what makes a rubbish drawing is really it, you, you're I missing a lot don't... of context, right? Because yeah. on set, when you're trying to convey an idea to someone, on a crew member, it's stick fingers figures that you're putting in. It's you're putting a to... box for a camera, exactly. an arrow, and a stick figure. But that's a powerful drawing because suddenly it's clarified to the whole crew exactly what needs to happen in the shot. So, you know, that's. That's a good drawing in that context.
2: yeah for, for us, it's an exciting creative tool exactly. Now if the student thinks that's the end product, then we do have a problem. yeah, but generally it's not it's it's part of that pro that process, mm-hmm. which you know that excites us. I think the potential that's there.
0: So what would drive you in curating the kind of AI tools you need to integrate into say the curriculum you know because earlier we were talking about there's just a myriad of stuff, and every week there's a whole bunch of other tools.
2: Yeah,
0: is there a criteria like if someone who's looking to get into this now? What no criteria. Should they for, for. I
2: mean, no, we don't. I mean, we're we're quite unique as universities go. We're quite agile and industry facing, as you said, and you know we're very flexible. We, I, we don't have a problem with students using any of these tools throughout their modules. We're not teaching them officially because we teach the skills that industry are demanding. And then, as I mentioned, industry are not entirely sure what skills they quite need at this point in time. That could change in six months and then we will start integrating it into the undergrad and postgrad programs. The one thing, so what we are finding is they are using generative AI quite a lot for the concept and design stage. So I do feel sorry a bit for some concept artists who might find themselves out of a bit of work because, you know, a lot of directors can actually visualize pretty close what their, their vision is at very high quality with this Gen AI stuff. The other stuff that we're finding very interesting, maybe in a more um, senior level towards the end, is how um, things like machine learning can actually speed up production. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we're going to take certainly seriously in the next couple of years on our MSc courses, where we're going to sort of introduce the ideas to the students to build training models. Because, you know, the thing that excites us most about that is how you can offload literally a lot of the processing time you would normally have in production to pre-production. No. Uh, so, for people that don't know, machine learning is where you kind of use a, mo- uh, you build yourself a data model, you train the software to learn a particular thing, and then after that, you can do it almost in real time. So, things, for example, a muscle system, you could um, generate, um, you'd have to train it for several thousand hours on what muscle systems do and how deformation should look. But after that, you have a real time tool where you can animate the jiggles and everything. And that's like you say, it's perfect for a client to sit over your shoulder without all the processing time. So, you know, the excitement of what you can do in production, how you can interact with clients is, is a great thing. But it's the tools that are literally, again, mentioned at Seagraph, the tools are not quite in the software yet. They're coming in the next few releases that we will have these machine learning tools. So, we, you know, we will encourage the students to start to look into that stuff, but we're not officially going to put it into the curriculums until there's definitely more of a thing from industry. But it's definitely an exciting area that we've really, really, I think everybody should push into if they're interested in that. Yeah, I you know, think anything that saves time and money in industry and can show off to the clients is a wonderful yeah. thing for everyone.
1: And I think that that freedom right now is an incredibly important thing for the next generation of yeah. people coming into creative industries to to explore and learn these tools because You know, as we've all been through, right? None of us are relative spring chickens now, but we've all seen we've all seen, you know, new new generations of creatives and engineers and developers come through into industry. And again, not just in creative, but in other areas as well. And they have been able to pick up brand new concepts and technologies much quicker because they don't have a legacy of framing it around what they've been doing for 20, 30, yeah. 40 years. So giving that freedom now to, to the next generation of creatives, I mean, whatever does come into the curriculum, yeah. whatever studios and industry decide, right, this is what we're gonna adopt in the next few years in this area, they'll be much more adept at picking it up because they've had that freedom to explore all of the amazing free tools that are available on the internet today, some of the, you know, the more you know, advanced students on the programming side will be picking up the, you know, the those tools and models available from us, from Hugging Face, from Meta, from these areas, and combining them into their their own little three D experiments, which will become the pipeline developer, you know, concept of of the future of how you bring these tools in. So that freedom is a great thing to hear. It's Interesting, that, you say that actually,
2: because in the last revolution, people did do film for the same way for twenty odd years, and since the digital revolution. We've had revolu- mini revolutions every two, three years yeah. in this industry. So in order to keep up as an artist, you have to be incredibly agile and learn the new tricks as they come on and ride that wave. And that's been that way since the sort of the 2000s when it had become all crazy digital. The one thing for sure, though, is that no matter how much it's evolved since the 60s filmmaking, there are still the core skills that are essential. Mm-hmm. And that is the storytelling, that is the framing, the cinematography, you know, and having a good eye for the quality of the image, a good sense of weight for the motion, you know those skills transcend any of these technological changes. And I think you know giving the the students that eye on what makes a good creative image will give them the upper hand in order that they can use whatever tool is available because you know we're of the 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 um perception here at escape, you know no tool is a bad tool. Whatever works and gets the job done is a good thing and embrace change, you know. We're the ones that've been driving it for the last ten years. These children, these students now, are the ones that are going to be driving it in the next ten years. And to give them that, you know, that excitement of wow, what's the new toy? What can I do with this? Oh, look, I've now can speed that up or change it. You know, that drive is what's going to keep this industry alive and has kept it alive so far. You know, it's it's an exciting time.
0: I caught you nearly saying children, stopping yourself from saying children a couple of times. So the spring chicken thing, I think, is more in that direction. The thing
1: is, I mean, it's it's not necessarily the wrong. Word to use because there are so many children using yeah. these tools. The the democratization of since Fortnite, yeah. Fortnite was what yeah. brought them all into it. And with it. the
0: Fortnite, what's that thing called the the game creator? Well, yeah, so you've you got Unreal for, Fort- yeah, yeah, Unreal for Fortnite. Unreal for Unreal, yeah. So you
2: can make your own levels in. So yeah. that's really. And but the, that's a
0: brilliant stroke, right? Because you're you're spending so much time playing that game, and now you can make stuff, stuff in it. that game. It's a great gateway. I mean, Minecraft, into-
2: uh, Minecraft levered them into it. They're slightly older. Graduates that we get in Minecraft was the thing that they got into most to build their virtual worlds. And then they wanted to build virtual stuff, got into Blender, then came to us. And then it was Unreal that got that excitement going.
0: You Um, know, creativity isn't about working for a living, it's about playing for a living. So the fact that they combine play and make it fun to make stuff. And the fact the tools were made
2: free for them. Yeah. Unreal made the tools free. You know and it democratized it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing I do find very difficult is um learning paths. <laughs> that's something I'm going to ask NVIDIA about, particularly. I mean, we've got all these new wonderful technolo- technologies coming in and stuff, and um, that's something that we find difficult because we've got a lot of students that come and learn an awful lot on their own online, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah, but the problem with most of the material online is unstructured, mm-hmm. and unless you know what you want to learn, you can't really make that much sense of the learning materials. It's very much and miss a lot of the time and their progress of learning is very slow because of that. Some get it right and go a lot quicker. So this is why they come to providers like us, because what we are able to do is structure that learning path for them so they can learn what they need to in the right order very quickly and then hit the ground running. And after that point, they can then go and learn from the stuff because they know what they're doing. And it's it's that kind of stuff is that lack of guided learning materials. You find wonderful tutorials on how to do this, how to do that, how to do that, but none of the very simple overview this is the overall framework. Let's break you into this gently mm-hmm. and guide onwards, you know. And
0: where it's relevant and why it matters to, you know, Absolutely. the ultimate goal, which I mean, is even, working even in a particular for
2: studio. Older older artists like myself that want to get into these industries, you know, it takes me quite a lot of time So, a first of all work out how the concepts should go together and what order. Once uh-huh. you've got that, then you can start looking at training materials wow. around that and building up the bigger pipeline. But actually that's the bit that needs addressing and everyone puts on this wonderful content, but it's never that well-structured for entry-level or for a mid-level. Yeah.
1: I think from, from an AI point of view, you know, we, we've put a lot of effort into platforms like the deep learning Institute, um, but where, where we do provide, you know, some, some structured, you know, learning paths around AI broadly speaking and some specific use cases. But I think with, with generative AI and language models, it's moved from very complex, deep academic research into everyone's faces, you know, the general public so quickly. Um, it is difficult to figure out how to provide learning paths for, for people when fundamentally it is still very complex tools that are being built by, by NVIDIA, Meta, Google, Adobe, and, and many others. Um, so yeah, it, it's a difficult thing. But again, it comes down to the collaboration that we love to have with industry. So it's something that we should we should talk about okay. in one, one area where we've had a lot of focus in that structured learning path, um, which is still very complex, but maybe not quite complex as building you know, a large language model um, is around USD. Um, because you know that's an area that has grown in interest and popularity and, and you know being front and center of you know one of the next evolutions of, of 3D. Um, and you know we've put a huge amount of work into our own sort of developer portals and, and learning paths for that because again, it's a complex thing that takes time for creatives and developers to, to pick up and learn. Um, so, so yeah, maybe we can start integrating some of the AI stuff into into what we're doing there. But I think you know, USD is one of those things that requires that learning path for, sure. for the industry.
0: I'm so pleased you brought up USD because USD marks a real turning point in my development as a creative. So a few years ago, I left Universal, where I had been developing shows, uh, writing and directing live action and animation stuff, developing. Um, developing as in story development um, VR experiences and my knowledge of hands-on knowledge of the CG animation process was fairly rudimentary. I, I was trained in animation mentor but a very small element of Maya animation. so I just knew how to animate my characters and get a performance out of it and in doing that I realized I was a more of a storyteller than a hands-on animator. but my technical knowledge didn't go much further than that and that was back in 2005. But when I left Universal after directing crews who were much more knowledgeable on this stuff, I realized that maybe I need to upskill a little bit, learn more about this, the hands-on elements of the CG production pipeline so I can communicate better with my crews. And that moment just happened to coincide with the beta release of uh, Omniverse from NVIDIA. And Omniverse for me, uh, I was just exploring all the tools out there and it made USD so accessible for me. Not only did it, Helped me understand the emerging CG pipeline, the paradigm shift to real time better. I realized that I could create visuals on my own, far better visuals on my own than I could previously, because it greased the wheels between lots of other applications that would otherwise be too cumbersome when you've got to export files and get them all talking to, you know, to each other well. So that the element of USD points to um an opportunity to do away with legacy systems like file systems that have existed for a, long while, for a long time or ways of working in the pipeline. There is a little bit of a painful process because to get rid of legacy systems means training a lot of, you know, a lot of your, your crew. It means potentially stopping production so you can build a new pipeline or you have a second team that builds a pipeline in parallel and that's extra cost. So how do we navigate this? Because the advantages of USD are really clear to me. It's enabled me as an indie creator to be able to create an animated show all on my own that looks, relatively speaking, very high end that I would not have been able to do with my skill set where it was with any other format or platform. Because it takes away the technical barrier for me. And it, I'm sure it does for many other independent creators and it will do for studios. So how do we transition, right? You've got 30 plus years of the way we've been making CG with FBX and proprietary systems and all of that. And now USD comes along and says, here's a way of creating something where all your apps talk in real time and you can can preview your your final rendered images in in a near final form much earlier in the process and all the promises of real time and virtual production, all that sort of stuff. But it's a single file format that's also a platform that has other benefits like layers and history built in and this open format. So how do we transition to that? Because the benefits yeah. seem quite clear to me. I
1: think the, the adoption curve is, is accelerating, but it is still, it's not an overnight transformation, right? because people have been building 3D worlds for, for so long in multiple industries mm-hmm. to, to, to move to a, a new way of interchange um, and, and collaboration. Is is something that's exciting, but needs to be well thought out, and that requires not just you know one platform from Nvidia in what we've done with Omniverse, which you know we we bet that USD was going to be the way to build a toolset and a platform like Omniverse for for developers, um, but it requires you know the the industry of three D tool developers and the industry of creators to realize the, those benefits that that you outlined at multiple scales and for multiple use cases, right? You know we see uh, usd affecting many industries already manufacturing automotive retail because content is created in many different industries right it's not just visual effects and cg where mm. there is a very complex requirement for, for 3d and virtual worlds and accurate right physically
0: accurate right yeah. and that's for us keeping within the frame we can do whatever we want there's so many examples of animation where if you look just outside the camera the the models all distorted and you know things <laughs> yeah. are out of place because yeah. all that matters is within the frame but with manufacturing, it's got to be dead on. Yeah.
1: And so this is, you know, we've spent the last, you know, four or five years working hand in hand with Pixar to extend USD in new directions, such as having schemas for for physics and, and schemas for for rigid bodies and and deformations and things that, that weren't there before because they weren't needed in Pixar's pipeline. And, and now, you know, the most recent, you know, major development in this world is the um, Alliance for open USD uh, that we announced just before Uh, SIGGRAPH, where, you know, Pixar, Adobe, Apple, Autodesk and NVIDIA have come come together to accelerate the creation of open standards for uh, for USD and uh, the ecosystems around USD. And that group's already been joined by people like Unity and Epic, um, who obviously, you know, incredibly important in the, the evolution of 3D, as well as, you know, people like IKEA. Um, which really shows you, you know, how much this is growing beyond you know, CG and visual effects. I think Apple and Ikea are two really key partners in that space. You know, what Apple have announced this year um, around you know, uh, spatial computing, which obviously you know, they have also bet on USD being a big driver of that. They've come out and said how important USD is to Vision OS. And what that tells us as, as, you know, where we support that ecosystem is if, if that's where a huge amount of the end result is going to be seen, then clearly, you know, USD is going to become important for that whole pipeline. Um, but I think, you know, you mentioned earlier um, when we were uh, talking that IKEA is one of the largest creators of, of 3D assets in the world, um, which speaks to that volume of 3D that happens outside of visual effects as well. So that ability to interchange not just between applications, as you mentioned, but between industries, becomes really important and really interesting. Um, and I think you know where we're going now with the the work at the the Alliance of Open USD and you know increased adoption across the visual effects industry is going to create this a new ecosystem of of tools that are going to be built on top of of, um, frameworks like what we've done with Omniverse, but also the work that people like SideFX have been doing, uh, and the work that Autodesk and Epic and Unity will be doing. Um, And USD becoming this general capability for studios to interchange with each other for for artists to interchange with each other, but yeah. it will be a process, and I think I'd be surprised if you know we're not teaching it yet today in 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 industry-driven um, courses like what you guys do. Um, but I suspect that it will grow in a need in in the near future.
0: Well, I don't think there's a studio around now that will complete the effects for a film or even animation completely on their own. Right? It's all collaborative. Quite off most major films are split between several VFX houses. Absolutely. Yeah. So I could see USD certainly helping there. I mean, how do how do, how do studios now exchange data? I mean, What's the best practice now?
2: I've, there's lots of studios and they all do it in a very specific way. And they all right. have, you know, for the big companies, they've got very monolithic pipelines that they've spent millions developing over the last however long. And as you quite rightly mentioned before, to change that pipeline is an incredibly expensive, time-consuming process, uh, which are, a, a lot of them have started to investigate. A lot of them are much further developed than others. Some have completely gone that way and there's a whole mix in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody knows it's inevitable really to have a, filed, a, a shared format. I mean, the, the big advantage is, is that these days we're not just outputting using these assets for movies, we're using these assets for games, we're using these assets for real experiment, you know, uh, real-time experiences, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Previously, we would actually have different departments and rebuild that three times over, which is craziness. The advantage of USD is you build the one asset and that can be used for very many different industries at the same time. You know, Framestore do a lot of real-time stuff and stuff in the movies, etc. I can imagine them being quite happy with something like USD, as I say, they develop the one asset and then they can farm it off to whatever output medium they want want to do that totally. with and then you can, like you say, you can share that with other the studios. When you make an update that's live in a controlled way, you can send that update amongst all, all the people that are working from that mm-hmm. so you can guarantee that people are in, in in cahoots with each other. Yeah. So yeah, I think everybody can see the benefit of that. Um, I think smaller facilities are a bit more wary of it because um, with the wonderful Omniverse, you do have a framework that you can dive straight in. Anybody can download Omniverse and get started with the USD right now and do that kind of thing. But for a bigger, for a production where you have more specific needs, that may not be so flexible unless you start employing coders or programmers to help you do that. And only companies of a particular size would want to invest going down that road, yeah. which is an interesting phase. I could see maybe in the future a bit more that um, it will be more accessible because a lot of the tools will be seamless for people to integrate with it on a on a much easier level. And then, if they need the more advanced advanced the more advanced pipeline attributes of USD implemented for themselves, then that's the point at which they develop, it, you know, will get coders in to, to do that stuff because there is a lot of coding and needed and a lot of understanding to actually make the pipeline work for you if yeah. you're not using something like Omniverse. Yeah, and I think that's the sticking point for. A lot of people, because that's cost and time, Uh and you know, for small companies, especially at the moment with um, the little waves that we have in industry, is that you know they're not sure often where the next job is coming in. So to make that investment for for a year Uh is a big ask, because they, you know, what jobs we're going to have in a year? You know, bigger facilities know they've got investment maybe for a year or two years and can, you know, take that risk to develop a a new pipeline for themselves. For us as educators, it's an interesting one because. You know where does where do we fit in for that? You know, obviously industry there isn't one set of skills we can say this is the way it's done and that will serve you for whatever company you work for. You know what we've got to do is fa- be fairly more agnostic on that, as we always are. We try and be as agnostic as we possibly can and teach what the raw skills are. So the raw skills are understanding what asset management is, why that's an advantage, what systems are out there. Some of our students actively use Omniverse now because it's easy, but um, we're not implementing it because we don't have the developers to develop a pipeline. I mean, we are in discussion with industry when time's right. We may work with a partner to help develop a USD system in house that's agnostic enough for the companies, but we're away a off from that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Omniverse is the one that I would recommend my students to if they want to dive into USD now and actually use it on their projects. Omniverse is the framework they should use, either than that or they delve into something like Houdini Solaris because, again, that isn't a wonderful USD authoring, but then that's. Integrated into Houdini, and yeah. it, you have to uh, deal with the vanilla installs of other DS- DCCs, which aren't, again, at this point in time, aren't that great. But the connectors through Omniverse fix all of that. They've written exactly. those bits yeah. for you, so you don't need to use the vanilla stuff, but it's coming. Exactly. You know, It'll be nice to use I the think vanilla things. But
1: Something we, we talked about earlier around how generative AI will create opportunities in the future. I think USD is another example of that, where you know, as as the the adoption goes up, the re- the requirement for some of those roles, yeah. you know, will become as standard as a, a pipeline, you know, team or pipeline TD, or e- even just you know entry level programmers in in every size of studio. Um, which again, it's you know, it's evolution of skill sets as evolution of of the roles required in the industry, yeah. uh, and an understanding of USDs are, is is going to be a fundamental one. Whether you're in a, a CG studio or whether you're in mm-hmm. an automotive you know company or whether you're in you know a, a retail or CPG visualization team, um, but tying the two things together, mm-hmm. if I can neatly with a little bow, one of the things that we brought out at SIGGRAPH was um, Chat USD. Which you know, because we recognise that USD is a complex thing to get into. So by training a, a language model on all of the documentation there is for USD, and a huge amount of the examples of, of the the programming for USD, um, you know, someone can now sit down with with that Chat USD language model and ask it how to do things in USD, ask it to write code in USD. So we can shortcut quite a lot of that that learning um, by by enabling. You know, to accelerate these. Um,
0: like an assistant, like exactly. a private tutor yeah, assistant. That's yeah. what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah.
1: An assistant
0: USD. Yeah. Your own little Yoda guiding you through your yeah, yeah, USD. How journey. reliable
2: are these language models? Because I've I've used Chat GPT for coding, for asking coding questions, and um, it's a bit dumb. It gets things quite funda- quite fundamental things wrong. Well I, th- I think it depends you need to have quite a good understanding to know if it's what it's telling you is the truth or not I wouldn't take yeah. it for face value
1: Well I think with with custom language models that are fine-tuned on a very specific well curated data set you can you know expect a, a very good level of of accuracy because you've you've decided on what you want that particular yeah. AI model to be very very good at you've created a very niche well, use I think case a lot for people it. assume
2: these things are 100% accurate I mean, I know lots of people that use Chat GPT and just think it's the truth. Yeah. And, and I, I realize think realize there's a big error margin to it all.
1: I think the, you know, the the very large open language models, they're amazingly powerful and people should absolutely use them when they can, when they work for the outcome that, that you're after. But we couldn't have done something like chat USD with one one of the very large open platforms, because you have to take what is, you know, a, a relatively niche data set and a data set that's constantly evolving around the language of USD and and fine-tune a model just with that within a you know a, a team of, of researchers and AI developers um, but I think that is something we're also going to see more common in general in in like visual say, effects yeah. so these these niche requirements you know I've been doing a lot of work recently with a, a studio called Lu um, which is uh, work as, as part of a, a digital catapult project funded by the the government um, And they've been exploring how to create some of these sort of niche generative AI tools for things like depth maps and height maps. Mm -hmm. It's a very specific use case, and they have a very specific data set that allows them to go and build on top of an existing foundational model um, to, to create something that does a very particular job very, very well. And that's what I think we're going to see evolving. And that's, you know, one of the, you know, the other reasons that we created that Chat USD tool was to give a good example of that, mm-hmm. um, how, you know, and those niche use cases can yeah. be accelerated very quickly. Yeah. Applying a, a single, large, monolithic language model to niche requirements within a specific industry yeah. is never going to result in 100%, you know, mm-hmm. all the time. I think, you know, AI, you could never right now, today, put your hand on your heart and say it's going to be 100% all the time.
0: But the efficacy of like a Google search or Wikipedia is also not 100%. It's close, but it's not 100%. And that's not even generative. That's just curated by mm. human beings. I can I can foresee like an, say a studio that's been, I won't name any, but say a studio that's been around 100 years, that has a strong legacy of 2D animated films, but has found that Maybe animating 2D films isn't that cost-effective, and um, but has this rich library of, of of artwork. They could create their own dedicated language. Would you call it language model? Language, uh, language do you uh, Yeah. It? You, or training you, model. Training really. model. Yeah. yeah. Training model just on that data, and then it comes out with a fabulous in between it that uh, empowers 2D artists to They're do great. Probably already in-betweens. doing that that maybe this I'm hypothetical say, studio may already they be may doing it. may
2: probably already doing something. But
0: then you can imagine like 10, 20 years from now, <clears throat> it's commonplace to have your your concept artist supported by, not probably not even 10, 20 years, but, you know, it, it would be commonplace to have a concept artist supporting machine that just does that in that style for that company. And it's hugely beneficial and it's very narrow, but they will be so commonplace that you would have it for almost anything, even on your... And, you know as you go about your day you'd have like your you know the, your favorite recipes or something your favorite ingredients give me a, a brand new recipe or something
1: yeah I, th- I think we'll find large studios building their own internal yeah. tool sets and yeah. capabilities because that's what they've been doing for a long time it's yeah. the unique selling point of many large visual effects and CG studios is the quality of their internal engineering and they will take AI on as another yeah. you know um, um, arrow in the in the quiver to, to deliver those things, I think what we'll also see are the traditional large software vendors, um, your your Adobe's, your Black Magic's, your Side Effectses, your Autodesk's, um, building tools that they integrate more and more into their applications. And they've been doing this for a long time, right? We've had Already, yeah. we've had machine learning and AI assisted capabilities in these apps for for years. Oh, People yeah. haven't really realised it yeah, yeah. because they've seen you know a, a, a color matching tool or a match move tool that all of a sudden is very, very fast and very, very accurate. Mm-hmm. No one's really thought about the fact that that is machine learning or AI in the background because yeah. it hasn't been a front and center conversation piece until so
0: recently. Yeah. My content-aware fill in Photoshop, when that showed up, I was like, yes, <laughs> this is great. I don't have to spend hours doing this painful task, but where was it going to go? It was going to head towards where we are now at mid-journey and, and beyond. But even taking it simpler, you know, a, a, a simpler example, um, autocomplete, um, is an earlier version of what we're talking about here. right? A, a yeah, computer um, with statistics and probability narrowing the options down for you before you can type your sentence to speed up your work. Is that not an earlier form of what we're talking about It's
1: now? It's predicting what you want next. I mean, computers have always been
2: there to make our productivity, not necessarily your life easier, but your pro- productivity to increase And that's what these tools have always been there i don't think they're going to replace us as people are worried about but again they're going to make us more productive in different ways and in different pipelines that we can't can't even imagine at this point i mean what's interesting is the last time like i said the film revolution when it moved digital was nobody knew what they were doing for about five to ten years (laughs) because it was all changing so much the best we could do was make sure we had our our base skills and just live with those and try and implement what was coming mm-hmm. you know after about 5 years suddenly we had pipelines and then we had very specific job descriptions yeah, based yeah. on those new pipelines that got yeah. developed and that's where we are today and i think the same with the ai stuff you know all they can really ask for at this point in time is agile people that have enough knowledge to do stuff with it because it's now that we're actually writing those pipelines. In two or three years' time, those pipelines will be much more defined and you will have very specific jobs for very specific roles. Yeah. But the, that hodgepodge, the boiling pot of what it is at the moment is the exciting time, mm. I think.
0: We got a glimpse into um, some of those pipelines, what those pipelines could be very soon. There was something that SIGGRAPH called, I think it was called Text to Texture or something like that, where you yeah. could grab a 3D mm. object in a scene say it's like a rug or something, and you wanted a different pattern. It's not that you were just dragging a texture or a material from a, from a library that existed. You typed in the description of what you were looking for, and it would generate, like you wanted a woolly rug <laughs> as opposed to like a... You know, I mean, we've got that
2: in Houdini <coughs> now. There's um, some independent developers have developed a thing called MLops in Houdini, machine learning operators, some incredibly clever guys. And they were just demoing it, in fact, at Seagraph, a really nice tool where you've got a 3D model in there, and they run up, they um, unwrap it, send off those into stable diffusion, which is the free version, and then they bring back basically the texture for the horse. You ask we can have a horse with red hair, and then you get photo real textured 3D model. Yeah. I mean great. that that's there now. They can do crazy stuff with segment anything as well. Um, you can sort of pull out almost real-time roto, yeah. get your image in there, segment it up. And that's it. it's Literally done in two seconds. You've got a rotomat, or you can use that to generate other geometry for menus. Yeah. I mean, these it, tools are there now. People are developing them. Yeah. And put them in the DCCs. And if this stuff you gets you with, to
0: ninety percent of the result in minutes or seconds, I guess it, the opportunity there is to focus more on the storytelling or the point of the shot or the image that you're you're making. That's exciting to me because I'm a I'm a showrunner. I I develop IP. And going back to what you said about. Um, Using USD to feed multiple pipelines or multiple formats. This idea of creating a transmedia show is commonplace in you know companies who build franchises, right? Because they want their IP to hit multiple touchpoints. Well, what's
2: really cool is you don't have to worry about that at the beginning of production anymore. You can actually use USD and then go. Actually, I now yeah, want to you're do ready. this, and everything's you're ready. you don't have to do yeah. anything. Which
0: is what nice has been there. a bottleneck quite often is. Oh, it's going to be expensive because we're going to have to recreate assets and we're going to we have to this, f- speak yeah. to a gaming company about how we do that. Let's just focus on the film and worry about that later. And then it never happens unless you're a giant. For an indie like me, I work in Unreal Engine. I use USD as my pipeline because uh, Omniverse is the, sort of the backbone. It makes USD... Uh, easier for me to understand, but also means Maya and Substance and Unreal all talk nicely together because of the nuclear server that Omniverse has. Now, there are other apps that you could use, but those are the only ones I really need to realize my animated show.
1: I think one of the important things with with hardware is using the appropriate pieces of technology for, for your work. You know, we, we put a huge amount of effort in to work with our uh, partners who build uh, GPUs into workstations or into cloud platforms to make sure that they are as fully supported and qualified and, and reliable as they can be. But you're absolutely right that, you know, young creatives or, or game studios will use the appropriate cards technology workstations for their use cases. Um, and higher end, you know, studios or creatives that need, you know, more memory buffer, more reliability, or support from from their partners like Scan and Nvidia, um, will go to those, you know, professional enterprise grade cards. And we do the same thing in our cloud services, where making compute accessible uh, is is a key driver for us. You know, while we have, um, you know, tools like uh, tools and platforms like Omniverse Cloud and DGX Cloud, where we're making the move towards on-demand 3D tools more and more accessible, making the move towards on-demand AI services and capabilities uh, more and more accessible. But ultimately it comes down to building software and systems that you can run from a laptop up to those massive hyperscale platforms without having to do a huge amount of work in in changing what you've built here
0: when you want to run it at massive hyperscale. Well, What's really exciting is Whatever your inspiration, whatever you want to create, there's no better time to get into it, right? From free software to hardware that's available at every level, um, there's no excuses now. And that's a a wonderful situation to be in if you're a creator. So thank you for joining us uh, on Beyond the Frames. Hope you found it inspiring, I certainly did. And you know, despite the pixels and algorithms and all the tech magic that we've been talking about, none of it means anything without you, the creator, the person behind it all. So stay inspired and just keep creating.